I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Muses and Stuff. This is the podcast that's all about the dolls. They were the groupies, the wives, the girlfriends, and the muses who played such a huge role in rock and roll history by simply being themselves. They were sweet, sexy, brave, and powerful. They went after what and who they wanted, and they made no apologies. Welcome. Today we are talking about Anita Pallenberg. And with me, I have my good friend Lynx O'Leary. Thank you so much for having me back. It's always so much fun doing this with you. This, I, I'm always so excited before, before you come over. And what I love about when you come over is that you tell me the story. So I get to take a little break. I get to sit back. I don't have too many notes in front of me. And I just get to listen and learn something. Because I truly don't know much about Anita, except that... I recently watched performance mm -hmm. at your suggestion, and uh, um, I know that she was involved with the Rolling Stones, and because of your uh, podcast telling me about Mary and Faithful, I know that they were friends, and then she had a relationship with Keith Richards. Yes. So that those are the bare bones, that's what I know, and that's about it. Okay, well, I'll fill in the, the rest of the blanks there for you today. Okay, fantastic. So I watched performance, and I did take notes. Oh, good. I'm so excited to hear it. Okay. <laughs> so, I went into the movie not knowing 
what in the world I was seeing. The cover of Performance is two pictures of Mick Jagger. One at the top, the one at the top is Mick, who uh, is just looks looks like himself. Mm-hmm. And then the one on the bottom is Mick with slicked back hair and a business professional suit. Professional Mick. The professional Mick. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, I don't even think I read the back of it. Mm-hmm. But I popped it in. Um, actually, no, I didn't watch the DVD that you gave me because my computer was like, meow, 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 <laughs> no, no. And I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> so I had to find it online. So I started watching it online and I'm watching it and I'm watching it. And right off the bat, I'm just confused. I'm totally confused. So thoughts that are running through my head is, uh, who, who is this main guy that they're showing? Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of a name is Chaz? <laughs> Why is everybody so angry? Where is Mick? Where is Mick? Where is Anita? Am I watching the right movie? <laughs> Who are all of these unattractive men and why are they yelling at each other? So then I uh, skipped ahead a little bit to make sure that I was in the right movie. And then the first, I'm pretty sure it's the first scene with Anita and Mick. It's a bedroom scene. Yes. So I go, okay, I have found the right movie. And so I'm watching it and I'm like, sweet. So Anita, I'm just, okay, I see her and I'm like, sweet. Oh, yeah, she's hot for sure. Mm -hmm. And then she picks up this video camera. And guys, like, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen this movie, sorry. It came out in 1970. It was was filmed in like 1968. Yeah. Came out in 1970, so I mean, pause the podcast, go watch it, come back. But essentially, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ruin a few things for you, or I don't know, maybe it's you'll still love worth this. seeing. It's still worth seeing. So, uh, so she walks up to the bed, and it's like a you know canopy, and it's just very very sixties, uh, very sixties sensual. Yes, you know the music is. Just, hilarious uh but she's got this video camera and then she walks onto the bed and she sort of like takes their bed sheets and clothing and then i see that there's another person in the bed and i'm Mm -hmm. like oh who's this other person in the bed and i'm like oh it's it's a man and then i was like no 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 (laughs) because no it's a woman and i was like but no, but is it? Because then there was another angle and I was like, but is it another man? I was like, either way, like I'm in, I don't care who it is. But I, you know, I should have started cluing in right away that that was going to be one of the main things of this movie was the like, is it the, yeah. So then I I realized that it was like uh, a young woman and, um, and then I, I was watching it kind of in the middle of the day so there was a bit of a glare on my computer so I went under the covers (laughs) so I had my computer on my lap I was under the covers and then all of a sudden Anita and Mick were under the covers and I was like oh my god I'm under the covers with them (laughs) and then it just uh it's very sexy it was so sexy and then just like her licking his lips and then yeah I was like okay I'm in. <laughs> so, but I did give it a pause, and then I went and I read the the synopsis of it mm-hmm. because I was a I was I was kind of confused. Yeah. But then I read what was going on, and I went, "Oh, yeah. okay, I see what's happening with this movie." Um, at the very basic level, <clears throat> it's it's like a slightly gangster film about a guy 
going undercover trying to hide out from some scary people who are after him and he ends up at Anita and Mick's place and Mick is um I guess a has-been rock star Mm -hmm. who's lost his way and through some psychedelics and um other sort of drugs things start to get a little well Chaz starts tapping into that other side of himself that I think you know was always there and Mm -hmm. so the reason why the men at the beginning of the movie were so angry and yelling at them at each other is I think that they were trying to show that when you place these expectations on men to be this manly man and then that's all that they can be and then they have to live up to that Mm -hmm. they can become quite resentful and quite angry whereas Mick was that kind of uh, he was able to do what he wanted to do dress how he wanted to dress yes he was able to play with gender and um, and that was the thing about him that made him so attractive and Mm -hmm. had such such sex appeal is that he like the women wanted to fuck him the men wanted to fuck him but they were able to just be like well he's a really talented (laughs) musician and singer so I'm just as an artist yeah probably most of you know there's so many levels to this film oh my god yes yeah and then and then uh you know in the scene where Anita what's her name in the movie I can't remember yeah I (laughs) <laughs> I know that Mick is Turner, but it's only because yeah. I only know that because I read about it. So she's putting the wig on him, and she puts this sort of um, Lacy robe, kind of, yeah, yeah, on women's him. kind of robe, maybe. And then he starts having this freak out, yeah. and he's like. Uh, you pervert, like calling her pervert, mm-hmm. and he's like, "There's nothing wrong with me. I'm normal." Yeah. And it's says that like that pressure to be normal mm-hmm. and to be mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. So it's almost uh, very restricting, and how that can lead to, uh, yeah, like anger and just these mm-hmm. m- men. And then when they aren't able to live up to these expectations of being these like providers, these men, these like business whatever, and then there's that scene where Mick is uh dressed up as the businessman yeah he gets all of the other men that were yelling at the beginning all mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. naked mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff and it's like this is 1970 that this is coming out yeah so they didn't have words like non-binary yeah. or even transgender that's right so I picked up this issue of National Geographic which oh. is the gender revolution Right. And so if you see on the cover here, like it's uh, one, two, three, four, eight people and they all have a sort of um, label for them. And it's like, okay, male, androgynous, transgender male, bigender, transgender female, transgender. Oh, another transgender female and intersex non-binary. And I think that it's like now these things are starting to really. Yeah, be discussed publicly and. In a more straightforward kind of way. Yeah, whereas they were doing it in this completely... I mean, they were discussed... They weren't discussing it, but... They were kind of like showing it and uh, letting you sort of decipher what you want from it. I'm sure there are people who watch that movie and don't look deeper than the the base. Mm -hmm. But that film is meant to, you know, provoke thought and... I don't know how you could watch that and not walk away thinking about it for days. Like, there's just so much there. Oh, I, yeah. I've watched it so many times. And, 
even still I'll rewatch it and pick up on things. It's amazing. And that film has such an interesting backstory too, because behind the scenes, um, that movie had a huge impact on everyone who was in that film. Uh, for Mick, it did open um, elements to him. Uh, he sort of picked up some Turnerness in mm. his real life. He was gorgeous with the uh, he was eyeliner and yeah. the makeup. He never oh. looked more beautiful. Absolutely. And Anita, apparently, with every role she did, she would pick up that personality. And she never really played characters whose personalities you'd want to pick up. Mm. <laughs> um, the most interesting one, though, is James Fox, who plays the gangster who sort of is on this road of self-discovery. Uh, filming that affected him so deeply that he had a mental breakdown during the filming. Whoa. And he had to go... He had to be hospitalized after, and he didn't work again for a while. Like, it really messed him up on a psychological level. Mm -hmm. um, Donald Kamel, who uh, directed it, um, Keith Richards called him a master manipulator. He knew how to work everyone, and he uh, had no qualms about taking them to places that may maybe wasn't, you know, right for them to go. Uh, yeah. And just a little uh, offshoot here. Uh, Nicholas Rogue um, was the cinematographer, and he did The Man Who Fell to Earth with mm. David Bowie, uh, which wow. is another uh, mind fuck, if you will, of a film. Um, <laughs> confession, I haven't seen it. No? Okay, I'll watch it. We'll yeah. discuss <laughs> next time we're together. But then, okay, just like wrapping up this uh, performance thing, but mm -hmm. even just like having them in the bathtub, the three of them, mm -hmm. um, Anita, Mick, and then whoever the young woman was that was kind of Michelle androgynous. And, yes. Um, you know, it was, and Mick's hair is longer than hers. And he's just like, should I wash my hair? Mm -hmm. And he's just very you know, soft-spoken and almost, you know, yeah. really like with these more traditional feminine qualities. And He's almost more femme than Anita is in the film. She's like the totally. hard one. She's like what you kind of expect a man to be. Or... And then when Chaz is with the young woman, he's like, you're skinny. You're like a little boy. So he yeah. comes out yeah. and says it because you can see that Chaz is sort of like... Um, I don't I don't even know what you would call it experimenting questioning whatever mm -hmm. with his stuff so it was I'm so glad that I watched it but you know I was walking down the street the other day and uh, I saw this kind of tall skinny um, hair to sort of like shoulder length person putting money into a parking meter and I couldn't tell mm -hmm. I was just like mm -hmm. I could kind of go either way but that it's it's that sort of like I but I was I was attracted yeah. to yeah, to, yeah. to that, yeah. and so as I was walking, I had to look back and just go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what's, what's but here? I think because I've been, I've always been able to freely express that part of myself. I've never had to keep it under wraps. I've never had, um, even though you know, raised this way, my mom has often <laughs> and and no like no bad vibes with my yeah, mom yeah. about this but very much like as in women should be dainty and she said mm -hmm. words like delicate mm -hmm. and this kind of stuff whereas 
you know, you also need to balance that with strong and tough and these kinds of things. But I didn't have these. I didn't, I never had to fit into any kind of, of anybody's mold, mold of of what they wanted my gender to be. And Mm -hmm. so, Mm -hmm. and I never, and, uh, yeah, I never had to. I've never been attracted to the the hockey player, the yeah. the athlete, the the man's man, and you know, it's just different different things for different people. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because you know, my father had a very like sensitive and artistic side to himself, and then but could also like you know fix a car or whatever. You know, the yeah. having the two, and then one of my brothers was very artistic and sensitive, and then the other one of my brothers was very. Um, more traditional male so mm-hmm. i i got a lot of the yeah. saw all sides i saw all sides and yeah. i like all sides yeah and you're right like this is one of the first times in history really where it was started to be not only just shown but like almost celebrated um i do feel that film could have only been made in europe though like there's i don't think the states in the 68 were quite ready for that yet Mm -hmm. but it was like through um these people and bowie and everything where androgyny started to become uh, an acceptable expression so to speak yeah so before we move on i just had two more questions uh one was that anita's real accent and two should i get bangs like her (laughs) (laughs) that is anita's real accent Um, she has this Italian, German, British sort of mixture going on. She kind of lived all around. So yeah, that is her. It's very sexy. Oh, super sexy. Yeah. And the answer is no, I shouldn't <laughs> get bangs. I just got bangs. So. They look fantastic. Oh, oh they look fan- like beautiful. Plus, like you've got this long. What color is this now? Uh, like purple, pinky. Purple, pinky hair. Yeah. No, it works. I've told myself, Shanti. No, you're <laughs> never gonna get bangs again. I was inspired by Jane Birkin and Francois and all those '60s women. Gorgeous, Amita, absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Okay, all right. I'm ready. All right. Are you guys ready at home? <laughs> So Anita's got a really awesome story. Um, she was born January 25th, 1944. That's my birthday! <laughs> I was born January 25th, 1988! That's amazing. Whoa. Okay. All I'm right. in. Well, and is her birthday coming up soon? And yours. <laughs> so she was born in Rome. Um, I'm not really sure exactly how long she lived there. I do know she kind of... Uh, her parents were Italian and German. Um, her rock and roll journey sort of begins in uh, Germany in 65. Um, she was there modeling. Uh, the Stones came through and she she met them backstage at one of their shows in Munich. Um, she She was very popular back then. She knew all the it people she anywhere she wanted to go she was there you know and the life of the party so uh she met the band Uh, her and brian hit it off um marianne thinks because at the time brian sort of liked to tell the world he was the leader of the stones he thinks that might sort of be why anita was initially attracted to 
Brian. Um, either way, they hit it off. They started sort of casually dating. Um, in a few months, Anita decided uh, to move to London. Um, all through this, she's filming, you know, random sort of cult films in Germany and lots of modeling. Um, I'm going to quote Marianne here. Um, how Anita came to be with Brian is really the story of how the stones became the stones. She almost single-handedly engineered a cultural revolution in London by bringing together the stones and the Jeanne Doré. The stones and these hip aristos were a perfect match for each other. The stones came away with a patina of aristocratic decadence that served as a perfect counterfoil to the raw roots blues of their music. It transformed them from pop stars to cultural icons. Holy moly. Yes. Anita um, really was on the mark. She knew how to dress, uh, the right people to be with. She inspired not just the Stones, but almost a whole revolution in London. Um, and not just Marianne, but a lot of people give her credit for this. She was like... And and by doing what? By... Just being herself, really. Mm. Yeah. So just being uh, encouraging and fun and just kind of... Finding the right people, bringing, bringing the right people, people together. together. Oh, that's yeah. it. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like... I've mm-hmm. always enjoyed that, being mm-hmm. like, hey, do you, do you know this person? Or sort of having like um, seeing similarities in people, like say, because I've lived on the East Coast of mm-hmm. Canada and then like living in Toronto, being like, hey, do you guys know each other? If not, you should like plan your tour together. Or even when I was living in Peterborough and actually setting up tours and stuff, Mm -hmm. or not tours but uh shows and things like that thinking like what bands would be good with what bands so that they could travel and tour with each other in the future yeah and anita was like on the mark with music uh cultural writers directors she was like hanging out with fellini one day and you know the stones the next and bring who's fellini frederico fellini eight and a half Mm -mm. he's um probably the most famous Italian director from the 60s. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll I'll uh I'll show you some of his films. Great. Yeah. I think um, we need I think we need to have a night. A night. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, movie night. Yeah. Okay. I'm all for it. Doll night. All right. So just to give you an idea of Anita, um this is another quote from Marianne's book, Faithful. Um, She was the most incredible woman I'd ever met. Dazzling, beautiful, hypnotic, and unsettling. Her smile, those carnivorous teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Obliterated everything. Other women evaporated next to her. I was utterly in her thrall and would have done anything for her. Mm. She just had this power over people. And uh, Keith Richards, uh, in his book, Life... He says, my first impressions of her was she was strong, extremely bright, fascinating, let alone that she was so entertaining and such a great beauty, very funny, cosmopolitan beyond anyone I'd ever come across. She spoke three languages. I loved her spirit, even though she would instigate and turn the screw and manipulate. She would let you off. She wouldn't let you off the hook for a minute. Anita, sexy fucking bitch, one of the prime women of the world. So, 
she Hot damn. Yeah. Um, she was very magnetic and alluring. Well, that's it. And that's what, you know, something that I touched on last week. Yeah. A lot of these women physically were gorgeous, beautiful models Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. you know, seeing her in performance naked, I couldn't help but be in awe of her body. And even, you know, it's like just natural Mm -hmm. and, you know, like her full breasts just being like, wow, what a, what a. What a beauty. Yeah. Um, but that's it. You have to be entertaining mm-hmm. and you have to be intelligent. And yeah. It's not enough to, just to like be pretty. It's really not no. enough. And um, and you can tell in performance too, like the camera loves her and you can feel her spirit through it. Like you can tell this woman is not to be messed with. Like mm-hmm. she's scary, but like in, a, in an alluring way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so her and Brian Jones are together. Um, Keith Richards spends a a long time secretly in love with her. And so does Marianne. Marianne apparently was like totally in love with Anita as well during this time. Um, Anita and Brian had a house together and it became like the hangout for them two and Marianne and Keith and um they spent about two years together uh the the big issue was that they were very abusive toward each other like physically and mentally um Keith talks about how there'd be days and so does Marianne about just seeing her covered in bruises and no one ever said anything because they felt it was like their business. I guess, you know, you're young, you're, you're 20 and you don't really know how to handle those things yet, but she gave as good as she got. And, um, Keith says you'd see Brian walk around with black eyes and you could hear them like, and her like throwing things at him. And they were, they both were not very nice to each other. Hmm. Um, not that that makes it okay, but, Um, they both equally were destructive toward one another. Um, Keith says that he was in love with her, but he would never dream of making a move. Keith says he's never made a move on a woman ever. He's too scared to make the first move. So he waits for the women to do it. Of course. And he says that also because Brian was part of his band and stuff, he didn't know about how to cross that line and didn't really want to um he says sometimes brian would pass out at their house and him and anita would just spend hours like staring at each other like feeling this tension but neither of them making a move Mm. uh finally though um they took a trip to morocco and on the way they were driving in keith's new bentley and on the way brian had uh he fell ill. He ended up having pneumonia. And they basically just left him in France and went on to Morocco without him. And it's there that Anita finally put the moves on Keith. And after that, poor Brian, it was it was no good for him. He, mm-hmm. <laughs> he you, lost her. What do you think about Keith? Would you have put a move on him maybe? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. He's probably my favorite out of all the stones. Why I'd is say. that? 
I don't know. He's just so like cool. And I find Mick, especially over time, he became sort of like phony in a way Mm. or like the politician of the group, you know, like, well, he has a a persona. Yeah. And he was quite a businessman. Exactly. David Bowie looked to Mick for for, um, financial advice and things like that. I think Keith was more free and rock and roll and um, didn't buy into like fame and all that the way that Mick did. Yeah. 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 Oh, he... But I mean, they're both beautiful. Physically, yeah. You think Keith Richards is physically beautiful? Well, maybe not so much anymore. But in the '60s, absolutely, yeah. It's funny because I think a lot of people would probably say like, uh, "He's a toad," you know. <laughs> like, um, but I mean, if if you were to see him just walking down the street without his guitar, if he wasn't Keith Richards, it's it's he's he. I'm just saying, yeah, some yeah, people yeah. might argue mm-hmm. that Keith Richards is attractive think, because he's uh, he's a genius. Rolling stone. Yeah. He's a Rolling Stone. I mean, obviously, when he plays, you see that yes. he is. You know, but Super it's talented. like it's one of those. Uh, you know, and I'm looking forward to doing an episode of like, you know, men who might not necessarily be like a beauty yeah. like Mick Jagger the rock or, star thing or Jim Morrison helps them or yeah Josh Tillman yeah yeah um you know for example like Serge Gainsbourg who yeah. got Jane Birkin and Bridget Bardot but it's a matter of like these nerdy yeah um geeky it- men with an incredible talent that yeah. get the Oh, the talent the absolutely has a lot to do with it. Yeah. I also think, though, with Keith, like, when I think about him, I think about his style and, um, like, his look, if you yeah. will. And that also added to it. But, yeah, and I mean, if you're walking down the street. He was the most uh, kind towards women. Yes. And he yes. was yeah. the most uh, respectful towards mm-hmm. towards women so. and i feel like he's the one who stayed the most like level-headed and grounded in life yeah cool yeah but you're right i mean if i were walking down the street and had to pick mick or keith uh, you're you're instantly drawn to mick because he's so pretty and i mean there's i'm sure there are people that would be that would argue that mick jagger isn't isn't, isn't yeah. uh attractive at all but i don't uh, i don't i don't <laughs> care to know those kinds of kidding. okay so Anita and Keith are now a couple. Uh, Brian tried many times to woo her back, but it it never worked out. Um, there was tension with Keith, but they did manage to finish a tour and work together um, on another album still. Eventually, um, Brian Jones found a new girlfriend. Her name was Suki Poitier. Poitier? Poitier. Um, if you look her up, she is a doppelganger for Anita Pallenberg. She is so similar looking that you will still find online photos of her labeled as Anita, oh, but it's honey. not her. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's unbelievable how similar they are. Um, I, I've accidentally done that before. Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, obsessed with someone and uh, a musician and I just like he like his look and his style for me was just 
it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And then I had met somebody that uh, I guess kind of resembled him and was over at my house <laughs> once. And one of my friends came over um, and he looked at him and he went, oh, hey, and then said yeah. the first guy's name. And I was like, oh, my God, I, I realized that, oh no, what I, I realized that I had also like nothing in common with this other guy that was sitting beside me. And I was like, oh, my God, I yeah. only, truly only like you uh, because you <laughs> So needless to say, yeah. that didn't work out. Well, Ooh. Brian tried. Um, so let's move on. Let's um, move on. Things are good with Anita and Keith. She starts to do more films. She's in a couple uh, 60s cult films, obviously, uh, performance. Um, one's called Candy, which I believe Pamela almost got the main role for, oh. but Terry Southern... Um, I think something happened where Pamela didn't get it, but I remember in her book she talks about maybe auditioning for it or something. Um, and she also does Barbarella. And uh, with- Lynx is wearing an amazing <laughs> Barbarella shirt. Yes. I don't know what Barbarella is, but it's it looks amazing. badass. Um, there's also another like rock and roll reference to Barbarella. Um, Duran Duran get their name from the film. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Anita plays the evil queen that Jane Fonda has to fight. I think uh, Anita's called the great tyrant in it. (laughs) She's like this black (laughs) witch queen woman. She's amazing. Great. I'll add it to the list. Um, It's also around this time that just like Angela Bowie, Anita leaves around her clothes everywhere and Keith starts picking her clothes up and Mm. wearing them and that's how he gets this sort of like pirate fashion kind of look that like we all know and love Keith for it was very much Anita it was her clothes basically and uh they would just swap clothes all the time they fit the same clothes so why not right why not um and Keith does give her like full credit for her influence on the style of the times too, since so many people, you know, look to their rock and roll icons and take from them. So Anita definitely had influence on the fashion of that era. Um, so I guess the first like issue, if you will, in their relationship happens when she starts filming performance. and if you've seen performance (laughs) you'll know why you'll understand why um well first of all donald kamel the director was an ex-lover of anita's Mm. so there was that and then as i said keith says he was like a a manipulator he purposely set out to put them in situations um he basically set anita and makeup to have an affair on set which is what they did uh not just on screen they did have a thing off screen um nick was with marianne at the time um and both marianne and keith knew keith says he didn't know but he knew he knew like he felt it he must have known because while they were having an affair on set marianne and keith we're having an affair of oh, their own. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yes. So, 
Minus they well, they I all guess. just sort of accepted that it happened. I don't think like I, any of them talked about it or let it affect their relationships too much. Um, yeah. An interesting kind of Rolling Stones fact is that Keith wrote Gimme Shelter during the filming of this. Mm. And he says at the time he didn't realize the significance of the song, but he realizes now a lot of the feeling from that came from this uneasy period with Anita off with Mick and everything. Okay, everyone, go hit pause, go listen to Gimme Shelter, and then come back. (laughs) (laughs) So life goes on. They start traveling, doing lots of drugs, lots of parties. The Rolling Stones write Let It Bleed, which is one of their greatest. Um, In August 1969, Anita gives birth to their first son, Marlon. Oh, oh. Yes, Marlon Richards. Oh. Um, he's sort of named after Brando, not like as a homage to him, but as it happens, Anita had worked with Marlon Brando in the movie Candy. And apparently, there's this funny story about Brando trying to get with her, trying to like woo her with he poetry. Was so sexy. And yeah. Um, and it didn't work. And when it didn't work, apparently Brando tried to woo her and Keith. Yes. (laughs) Which also didn't work. But um, apparently when she was in the hospital or something, Brando called. And both of them were like, Marlon's a nice name. Like, let's name him Marlon. So he was inspired by Brando. And um, I love Pamela's story with Marlon Brando. Oh, God, yeah. Just sending him, <laughs> just sending him pictures, leaving, like, sexy Voicemail. messages on his mach- on his machine. And then every time she was, like, going through something, she'd just, like, call and use his answering machine as, like, a therapist. therapist. Yeah. And then one day he called her and he was just like, Pamela, <laughs> smiling, <laughs> don't hang up. <laughs> so good. Imagine just, like, having his number. Like, I, think I'll, I think I'll call Brando today and tell him. How I'm feeling. Yeah. So great. Um, not much changes after Marlon is born. They're still doing lots of drugs, still traveling, touring, all that. Um, Anita and Keith at this point are junkies. They're like fully into the heroin scene. Um, somehow with, between this time a second child comes along Angela she's born in April of 72 um, as a family they moved to Jamaica um, at this point things start to to go downhill Anita after years of drug abuse and she starts to get a little paranoid and a little delusional and incidents start happening and um apparently when Keith was on tour um they got raided in Jamaica and Anita was arrested and all these things happened but what what it came down to is they let her go but they expelled her from Jamaica so she had to go back to London um by 75 they're like in deep they're in like a dark hole but they're still together they're still trying um they have a third child a son named tara in march of 76 um marlon's old enough now 
well, he's still young. He's like under 10. But Keith likes to take him on his tours. Yeah, I read that. Is that in, in the book? Life yes. That yeah. That? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So they used to like drive together mm-hmm. to like around Europe to the different uh, cities that the Stones were playing in, which is so cool. Imagine like what a rock and roll life that is. Um, anyway, I wanted these tours um, when Tara is 10 weeks old. Uh, they get... Keith gets a phone call. Apparently Tara had passed away in his crib. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, this is devastating. Uh, he says in his book that to this day, him and Anita have never discussed what happened or their son at all. He doesn't even know where he's buried, if he's buried. It was, I guess, too uh, painful for both of them. Uh, Anita's like completely devastated obviously and she's like full-blown junkie um things are very dark uh Keith decides that their daughter Angela who is around four years old this isn't the right uh home life for her Mm -hmm. so he sends her to live with his mother and apparently she lived and was raised by Keith's mother until she was in her 20s so basically, I don't want to say they like shipped her off and left her, but they kept Marlon and they sent her to live with the grandma. Yowch. Yeah. I wonder what she has to say. I know. You don't really hear much about her. You, you hear Marlon talk a lot, but not really Angela. Okay. So um, the song Angie is about her? Well, or Angela Bowie? Keith says that he just sort of pulled the name out of nowhere he was strumming he says well when angie was being born he he was like working on the song Mm. but they hadn't decided to name her angela so he definitely doesn't say it's angela bowie doesn't angela bowie in her book say that she thought that it was a crack at her to sort of yes but she also credits mick for that so right i I don't know if she really it's a bit confusing yeah um who knows maybe that's sort of how the name came to mind but they do have a daughter named Angela and I would assume there's some sort of tie to that more than Angela Bowie but who knows um in 77 Keith Anita and Marlon moved to New York State um Anita is is scary now she's like very much paranoid very much crazy addict marianne as well at this point yeah marianne's out there too marianne and anita are both like junkies (laughs) yeah okay um keith in his book says marlon and i used to live in fear of anita sometimes of what she would do to herself let alone us i loved her dearly but i could not make it right she was unstoppably self-destructive so keith has that drug bust in toronto and he's just so sick of the junkie life basically so he's like this is it this is the time in my life i need to get clean apparently they they he tried many times over the years but Anita never tried never wanted to get off drugs she was that was her life she was happy in it um this time was no different uh 
Keith says, I would have stayed with her probably forever. But when it came to that very important time when dope was out of the picture from now on, she didn't stop. So for Keith to stay off, he couldn't be around Anita. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's touring and stuff, so he's not really around much anyway. Um, I'm having a hard enough time detoxing from sugar, let alone heroin. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have stood a chance. Yeah, I guess. It's a good thing nobody's I, ever, like, I wasn't in a, like in a time where people were just, like, not, Casually. Like, yeah, or, yeah. like, oblivious to what heroin could really do, because I'd probably be like, yeah, sure, and then I'd be screwed. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, it's easy to, like sit back and judge but like in the 60s like drugs were just everywhere like it wasn't there was no stigma there it was the rock and roll life and it's not crazy that these people were doing these things it was just always available and and some people really liked it you know i'm sure there's always that good period where you know it makes you feel good before uh the dark period starts um So they separate around this time. Um, Anita ends up having a little fling with a 17-year-old groundskeeper that was working on uh, her and Keith's uh, house. Yeah, she's probably not making the wisest uh, no. decisions. Probably not. Uh, neither is space. this 17-year-old because while in bed with Anita... He decides... Oh, I remember what happens. Okay, keep going. Uh, He decides to play a round of Russian roulette, and he loses and blows his head off. Um, Apparently, Marlon was in the house, and he says he remembers hearing a shot, and then his mother screaming and running down the stairs, like, covered in blood. Um, Probably doesn't do much to help her paranoia and fear. Yeah. Yeah. Okie doke. Um, she was arrested, but the police figured out it was a suicide. Apparently, she picked up the gun to move it, I guess, so her prints were on it. And Yeah. So, um, after that, I think around the, this time, Marlon is sort of going back and forth between New York and England with his dad. Um, Anita decides to move into New York City Uh, like Manhattan and she becomes a pretty big figure in the early punk scene she's a staple at the mud club CBGB Max's Kansas City just like hanging out yeah and um both Marlon and Keith say like she's not given enough credit for her influence on that scene as well Hmm. um she was hanging out with the dolls and uh Warhol and uh Burroughs and all the important people of that scene. So apparently she had a lot to do with that. And yeah, her and Marianne are both in the city now, both like full-fledged addicts. Like it's it's probably the darkest because period. Best friends stick together <laughs> yeah. no matter what. Yes. Um Marianne has a funny story, uh, funny in uh her book about playing I think the mud club and um before she went on Anita said to her like when you play sister morphine I'm gonna go to the bathroom and shoot up and uh 
she said sure enough she's on stage and like the opening of sister morphine begins and she can hear anita like off in the background being like that's my cue like (laughs) you know (laughs) and like off she went (laughs) yeah that's cute so cute yeah i mean at least they managed to live through this dark period and stay alive not many people of that time did um uh after a few years of this she finally moves back to england she manages to get clean um she becomes less of like a public figure uh we know that in 1994 she graduated from central saint martin's for fashion cool she got into the fashion thing for a while uh you can find photos of her in the 90s hanging out with Kate Moss and all the other like famous 90s celebrities of the time just out and about in London and cuz i guess everyone knows what an influence she was and oh, Kate she, Moss is, is a groupie yeah. she sure oh, is. Yeah, oh yeah i can't wait to do absolutely to, to do yeah her she's guys. one but of mostly like, the because biggest. like i'm in like i'm in love with Pete Doherty yeah um, I got a story for you then. <laughs> we'll discuss that later. Okay. Also, I just have to say before before we started recording, Lings told me the most rock and roll story I've ever heard. I was so hot under the collar, and I'm just like, oh, babes. That's all. That's all I can yeah. say. But um, maybe I mean, maybe one day. Maybe we'll, one day. That's it. We'll yeah. kiss and you'll kiss and tell when you're ready. Yeah. Um, but I can't wait to hear this, this story. So, um, continue. All right. So, um, you can see Marianne and Anita in this really great scene in Absolutely Fabulous, which is one of the best shows of the nineties. They played God and the Devil. Mm. Um, it's really adorable and yeah, they're still, you touched on that. Best uh, friends. Yeah. episode. Fantastic. Um, and Anita, you can still find her in films here and there. Um, more I'll have recently. to find a screen grab from that. And yeah, post it. yeah, for okay. sure, for sure. Um, maybe it's on YouTube. I haven't checked, but oh. we'll look it up. Um, she's been in films recently. She was in Harmony Kareen's movie called Mr. Lonely. He wrote the script to kids. He recently did Spring Breakers. <gasps> oh, yeah. Uh, Mr. Lonely is actually really interesting. It's like a, about a group of people um, on an island and they're all impersonators, celebrity impersonators. There's like a Michael Jackson. There's a Charlie Chaplin. I believe Anita plays the queen. Mm. And they all live on this remote island together like as their characters. It's really cute. Uh, and she was also in Stephen Freer's Cherie recently. Um As for her and Keith Richards, in his book, he said, Anita and I can now sit around at Christmas time with our grandkids and give each other a bemused smile. Anita is in good shape. She's become a benign spirit. She has a marvel or she is a marvelous granny who loves gardening. She survived. Whoa. Cool. Um, I always find it interesting. So many people talk about Keith and how, uh, it's amazing he's still alive and nothing can kill him. And, you know, he, he partied the hardest. And then in my head, I'm always like, you clearly don't know about Anita yeah. and Marianne. Like they partied way harder than Keith. And the fact that they're still around is incredible. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they, they're survivors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. 
they're both wonderful and they're still like best friends too so oh (laughs) okay i don't you've got me i don't even know what to say except for i loved that thank you you're welcome thank you so much that was an incredible story and it was her and uh marianne that really got me into uh Oh my god, that's so funny. <laughs> I have another knock on my door and this is exactly what happened. The last time. The last time that we <laughs> recorded. It's like who is just showing up at my house knocking on my door? Should I answer it or not? Should is I hit that, pause? Yeah, hit pause. All right. All right. All right. So we are back in action. Mm-hmm. Okay. Where were we? Uh well, it's kind of fitting. Um you just getting these? Yeah, I got a pack. I got a package in the mail, so I got a package of um, two sets of angel cards that I ordered, and then a, a CD of my, a CD that uh, I'm actually gifting to somebody. So it's pretty rock and roll. Um, and Anita was sort of known, and Marianne, um, to like dabble in magic yeah. and mystical things, mm-hmm. and they were very into all of this and. Uh, Anita was sort of known, people thought she was in a like black magic and she was known as like this dark mystical Which woman. is why maybe she played the devil. And yes, the, absolutely. Yeah. And you can, you can see why people, uh, she's not, you can, you can sense something sinister in her, but not like in an evil, terrible way. But like you can, if there's ever someone that w- might be connected to a, like a more spiritual world, even in performance, you can tell it would be like her, you know? So I listened to something really interesting that um, kind of just reinforced this thought that we have and this idea that we have of just exploring more of this kind of mystical, magical side of these women mm-hmm. and these deities and mm-hmm. the, you know, going towards the divine and all this kind of, and all, and all this. And um, it was actually from listening to the last podcast on the left is actually a podcast about serial killers and murder, Ooh. but they do happen to talk about um, like they, they have a couple episodes on aliens. They have a couple episodes on chemtrails. They have a couple episodes on, they have one episode on witches and then they have one episode called david bowie and the occult Mm. it was amazing and they really get into the hunky dory album which is my favorite david bowie album album. and then i and then they were just like kind of talking about some of the lyrics and uh talking about some of the things he was exploring there and in terms of like uh, magic and almost like predicting things to come and talking about um I don't know. It was just, it gave me shivers listening to it. It was so good. But then they were talking about how people like, you know, Jimmy Page and Robert Plant, they were total friggin' geeks. Mm -hmm. And they were like into, you know, mystical lands and into these legends and And into these magical. Exactly. Exactly. And then, so that's why, you know, they're attracted to these sort of witchy woman these mystical women who have another sort of like answer or Mm -hmm. to what they're seeking and it's just like you you have Mm -hmm. it or you don't you know and it's absolutely uh, a sense of yours or a part of yourself that can grow Mm -hmm. the practice so a lot of people you know experience a lot of otherworldly encounters or feelings or 
premonitions in childhood. Mm-hmm. But then as they grow up and and are maybe taught or, you know, they get blockages so that yeah. they cannot intercept messages and things like that, they lose that part of themselves. So it's something that you have to keep growing. And it's something that I do encourage with, you know, young people mm-hmm. to, to keep mm-hmm. themselves open and to... That's the important thing, yeah. Uh, yeah. Be open to anything. To, to just be open to it. But... Um, I'm really looking forward to opening up because I only have tarot cards. So I have probably four different sets of tarot cards and I love reading cards and I love the messages that we can get from that. But uh, I've never had angel cards before. So I ordered two two different desks, decks so we can have a look at those. Cool. And, and do uh, a bit of a reading. I suggest if you guys are interested in this subject, uh, Marianne Faithful actually has a song called Witches Song. Mm. Where she sort of celebrates that side of her and her ancestors and yeah. women who are open. Yeah. yeah. And I think Stevie Nicks is an example of oh, one of the witchiest absolutely. of the... Absolutely. And I was, uh, you know, watching Running Down a Dream for the bajillionth time the other day. And um, I was just, like, listening to how Stevie Nicks really... She would have done anything to be a part of the Heartbreakers. But then I read this article and Tom Petty was saying she just she just showed up all the time. <laughs> she just put herself in yeah, front yeah. of me all the time. And then I was reading more because there's an unauthorized and I'm doing quotes here, um, biography on Tom Petty, mm-hmm. uh, written by a friend of his, but it actually goes into the fact that Tom Petty had a heroin addiction. No way. Right? And Stevie Nicks really helped him through that, but I- I'm surprised. Uh, I never jumped to this before, but... I guess Last Dance with Mary Jane. Stevie Nicks and Tom Petty... There was something going on there. Oh, for sure. There was something going on there. And for me, he is like my ultimate, you know, he's the way that he writes and the messages and the gifts that he has is uh, is nothing short. Like, it's divine. Mm-hmm. It really is. He's just been given this gift. And it's even he says, you know, it's been unexplainable. Like, I don't know where this song came from. It just and I know Keith has said these things, too. It comes in dreams or whatever. Yeah. But like, it doesn't surprise me that one of the witchiest of women would land, you know, it's, the, it's there's very deep roots with all of this in rock and roll. Absolutely. In um, most of the the big name groups that we all love, Zeppelin, Stones, Petty, Fleetwood. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Thank you so much for this enlightening, entertaining, wonderful episode and for your company as always. Thank you. Um, Where can people listening find you? Um, Well, you can find me on Goodreads. Um, Read and write a lot of reviews on there. So please look me up. Find me. Mm-hmm. Okay, sounds good. And that's Lynx O'Leary on on Goodreads. And you can find me on Facebook, uh, Muses and Stuff, and on Instagram, Muses and Stuff podcast. And um, yeah, that's that's it, babes. Thanks for tuning in. I hope that you enjoyed yourself. If you want me to pull an angel card for you, just send me a message. <laughs> oh, uh, and go out and read mick's book life or keith's book life and marianne's uh faithful yep i agree plenty more of anita in there okay take care everybody and we'll see you next week
Have you ever watched a futuristic sci-fi movie and wondered, but wait, could any of this really happen? And will I live long enough to see it? That's what our show Hypothetical is about. I'm Carrie Bechet, and on this podcast, we ask what-if questions about the future. Like, what if we could read minds? What if the world's digital data was erased all at once? What would happen if the Yellowstone supervolcano erupted? Then we explore that question two ways, through speculative science fiction and through dialogue with brilliant scientists. The result is a genre-bending narrative that's interwoven with real facts provided by literal geniuses. And, spoiler alert, a lot of the science fiction out there, it's not nearly as far-fetched as you might think. Come time travel with me into the future on Hypothetical. New episodes on Tuesdays available on all your favorite podcast apps. Just search Hypothetical. That's H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L.